0: Welcome to Inspiring Philosophy, the audio format of the powerful apologetic videos from Inspiring Philosophy Ministries. Please consider supporting Inspiring Philosophy on Patreon to get early access to videos, live Q&As, and to help build the largest apologetic library on the internet. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, and welcome to the Inspiring Philosophy Podcast. This is a special bonus episode where Michael Jones of Inspiring Philosophy answers questions submitted by supporters of Inspiring Philosophy Ministries. These questions can be submitted on either locals or Patreon. All right, let's just get right into it. Um, how are you feeling today, Michael? Great. Yeah. Happy to do this. I'm always happy to answer questions
1: from supporters.
0: All right. First question. Daniel has a question about the issue concerning the univocality of the Bible. Is this something that we must and can assume as Christians? If so, what is the biblical evidence of that presupposition?
1: So, univocality just means having one meaning. And I think we need to not treat this as a dichotomy. This is a hot topic online right now. Does the Bible speak with one voice or does it speak with multiple voices? And this seems to be a false dichotomy to me. We should treat this more as a spectrum, with one voice being on one extreme end and then multiple contradictory voices on the other end. Uh, and quite honestly, it's It's not an either or, it's somewhere in the middle. For one, we as Christians don't have to say they're speaking with one voice. Obviously, they're not. Moses didn't know about Christ. He wasn't a Christian. He followed the God of Israel. Uh, So he didn't have the same information that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So his voice is going to be slightly different than those who had more revelation and came later. Now, does that mean Moses and the Gospels necessarily contradict? No, just because... We see multiple different voices in the Bible. We can't assume that means they're contradicting each other. That's a logical leap. So we don't have to say, yeah, it's all one voice. No, God used multiple different people and multiple different circumstances to bring about scripture, and they're going to be speaking about issues relevant to them. However, I think we can find a coherent theology throughout the biblical text. From Genesis to Revelation. It's not the idea that prior revelations necessarily contradict later revelations. Again, this is just assuming that just because there are multiple different authors, they are providing contradictory theology. And that doesn't logically follow. So we as Christians, we need to avoid this false dichotomy. It's not just one voice. It is multiple voices. God used multiple people to bring about Scripture, but that doesn't mean they are contradictory voices. Yes, the Holy Spirit is behind them all, and he's using them in their circumstances to bring about Scripture, but that doesn't mean we have to say it's all one voice given that there are multiple authors, and we don't have to believe they are necessarily contradictory. If we go through the Scriptures, it's pretty easy to harmonize a lot of what they're talking about. If we apply the principle of charity, and there's very little issues, actually, if you dive into the text and you're charitable with it. So I would just encourage people to do that, not assume that just because two passages on the surface don't sound the same, that doesn't mean the theology necessarily contradicts. Once you dive into the text a little bit more, you try to read it in context, apply the principle of charity, it's very easy to see that we are getting a coherent theology, even though we have progressive revelation being revealed. Like Moses has less revelation than what Jesus is revealing later on. So I would encourage Christians to take that approach. Just avoid the false dichotomy altogether.
0: Thank you, Michael. So what would you say to the objection that someone might present if the Bible has different voices? How would you say that this might affect a doctrine of inerrancy uh, within the
1: church? I know some people really hold very strongly to that. Well, I don't think inerrancy is necessary to be a Christian. I think that's assuming some sort of fundamentalist approach, and it's not essential for core doctrines. Uh, So you can agree that there can be scribal errors in the text, even though it's still giving coherent theology. It's giving reliable traditions that we can defend. Uh, But this would be a separate issue than univocality, because again, univocality is about having one meaning only. Again, Moses is talking about bringing the children of Israel to the promised land and giving them the law and establishing them in the land of Canaan. That's a different meaning than what, for example, Jeremiah is going to talk about with the coming of the destruction of the temple and the exile. They obviously have different focuses, and so there's going to be a variety of meaning in there. But that doesn't mean their theology contradicts. They're clearly teaching you should worship the God of Israel. There is one God, and this is who you should focus on. So you can agree that there are multiple voices that are talking about different meanings that don't necessarily contradict and still hold to inerrancy or not hold to inerrancy. These would be entirely separate issues in my view.
0: Yeah, I think that's helpful because I don't think a lot of people quite understand univocality.
1: Yeah, univocality is having one meaning only. So it depends on what people mean by meaning then. Like, are we going to say that we're all going to preach literally the same message? Well, no, because God has wanted to deliver multiple messages to us. He uh, has used various prophets over the time period to deliver messages that humanity needs, and that doesn't mean they necessarily contradict those. See, what my point is is that some people think that just because there's multiple messages in the Bible, that means they are contradictory. So sometimes you see online skeptics saying you're just assuming univocality and therefore you're trying to avoid contradictions. Well, that's a false dichotomy. We don't have to hold to univocality to argue there aren't any contradictions in the Bible. So I think often this is just a term thrown around that's not been properly defined. And so you really got to ask the skeptic, what do you mean by univocality? Do you mean it can't have contradictions? Is that what you mean? Because that doesn't really mean univocality. Again, you can say the Bible has multiple meanings, multiple messages, but that doesn't mean they necessarily contradict. Awesome. Very, very
0: helpful. Okay. Next question comes from Ethan. And I know this pertains to a view that you personally hold, Michael, called idealism. Could you just define also
1: what idealism means for the listener? Yeah, idealism basically means all is mind. So it's contrasted with physicalism, which would say that all is matter or some sort of physical substance. And in the middle, you'd have substance dualism, saying that there is mind and matter. Very interesting. To get to the question, Ethan asks, what would you say is the
0: best argument in favor of idealism? I'm getting back into this discussion, and I'm not
1: sure where to start. Well, the first place to start when you want to argue for idealism is to start with basic philosophy. So this is where a lot of idealists will begin. A good book to check out would be Idealism, New Essays, in Metaphysics. And they give a lot of arguments from just different philosophical perspectives without even going deep into science. The first place I would start is one of the things they do in the book is they rely on David Hume's bundle theory. Now, they interpret it slightly different than Hume did. But what they say is if you look at a physical object, like pick up an apple, you're going to describe it by its properties. So it's going to be round. It's going to be red, shiny, hard. And the point the idealists will make is you're just using mental qualia to describe the apple. You're using mental properties. Nothing you're describing is a physical substance. You're describing it by its color, the way you see it. You're describing it by the way it tastes, which again is a mental sensation. You're not going to describe it by anything relation to a physical substance. Everything we experience is mental. We experience a mental world. So for example... We experience colors, but colors don't exist independent of minds because what a color is, according to like the physicalist, is that the, the wavelength bouncing off an object hits the eye, creates a chemical reaction, creates an electrical signal in the brain. But nothing in that is actually the color. Somehow the color manifests in that somehow, which the physicalist cannot explain. The idealist just says, cut all that out. What we're experiencing is the mental world. We're completely divorced from any sort of physical substance that we could talk about. And if that's the case, objects, physical objects, that is, not agents, but physical objects, just seem to be a bundle of mental properties. They don't have to reduce to any sort of physical substance. And if we can describe the entire physical world in terms of mental properties, qualia, mental experiences, we don't need to posit anything that's actually a physical substance. Everything can be explained in terms of of the mental world. So in reality, the world we experience is our own consciousness, and then we experience these mental properties that we interact with and we basically experience. If that's the case, idealism is just a simpler explanation. We don't have to posit anything beyond the mental to explain reality. Everything can be explained in terms of mental substances, mental properties, mental experiences, qualia, these kinds of things. So idealism is just a more parsimonious explanation. This is fascinating. And I know this is definitely more of a technical topic.
0: For those listening who are more interested in this topic and want to see how they can possibly hold this view as well, how would you say that they can hold this view in tandem with their Christianity? Do you feel like there's any conflict there? Do you feel like they would have to read scripture
1: any differently? I don't think so, because again, we're just talking about the underlying metaphysics. Scripture doesn't really say that reality has to be some sort of physical substance Uh, That is somehow not dependent on God or somehow is created separate from God. Um, The Bible says that God created through his word. So everything is just sort of like the manifestation of God's word, which I would argue actually sounds like it aligns more with idealism in that physical reality reduces to abstract word created by God. Uh, Now, I think that's just a metaphor, for example. I don't think that, you know, like God literally has a mouth and vocal cords and he's speaking things. But you get the idea. It's created by God's information, which aligns with idealism. This is so interesting. Yeah,
0: I mean, I'm very int- personally interested in this topic. Do you have any other sources that you might recommend for anyone who's interested in learning more about idealism?
1: Well, yeah, check out the book I mentioned, Idealism: New Essays in Metaphysics. I also have a video on my channel titled "Mind or Matter, Which Is Fundamental," and I cover some of those ideas as well there. Awesome, awesome. All right, so the next question
0: comes from IP Bible Study Seven on Locals. They ask, "Universalism, yay or nay? Eternal conscious torment or annihilation? What are the?" scriptures that back
1: up the correct view on these things. Well, here's my take on this whole issue of universalism versus annihilationism versus eternal conscious torment. Uh, I think all three We hope you enjoyed
0: this portion of the Patreon-only Q&A podcast. If you want to hear the full version of this podcast and receive other bonus content like early access to videos, private live streams for donors, and much, much more, please consider becoming a supporter of Inspiring Philosophy on Patreon or Locals. Either go to patreon.com forward slash inspiringphilosophy or inspiringphilosophy.locals.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inspiring Philosophy. And a special thanks to the Inspiring Philosophy supporters who made this episode possible. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help the ministry of Inspiring Philosophy continue, prayerfully consider becoming a supporter of this show by visiting patreon.com forward slash Philosophy. That's patreon.com forward slash Philosophy. And if you want to watch Inspiring Philosophy videos, make sure to follow Inspiring Philosophy on YouTube.